Hey, do you remember the last great meal that you enjoyed? Uh, boy, I do. It was just a few weeks ago in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, to celebrate Tate's graduation, we went to a steakhouse, uh, and they had every kind of steak you can imagine. But instead of going with the ribeye or the T-bone, I decided to go with the much more sophisticated cut, the chicken fried cut. I uh, mean, I love a good piece of chicken fried steak just covered in white gravy. And my side item was loaded mashed potatoes. And when I say loaded, I mean loaded. It was loaded with butter and sour cream and cheese and bacon. It was one of those meals that came with a cardiac arrest warning. I, it was so good, but it was so worth it. Do you remember the last great meal that you enjoyed? And full things in life, few things in life bring as much satisfaction as a great meal. And the truth is, the food doesn't even have to be that great when you're hungry to hit the spot. I mean, a, a taco from Jack in the Box can be just as satisfying, just as fulfilling as a slab of prime rib from Ruth Chris Steakhouse, right? When you're hungry. When you're, when you're hungry and your stomach's rolling like Niagara Falls, it's so satisfying. You say, why are we talking about this this morning? Well, here's why. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus' stomach is rumbling. He's hungry. You say, how do you know that? The text certainly doesn't say that. No, the text doesn't say that. That's legit. But I think it's common sense. The gospel writer John tells us this, that when they arrived there at Jacob's well in Samaria, it was about noon. About noon. That means it's about 30 minutes past my lunchtime. 30 minutes pass when my stomach starts to say, hey, you need to eat. And not only that, but that journey from Jerusalem to Jacob's well in Samaria, it was a long and exhausting journey. Uh, it was the type of journey that could leave a person feeling hangry. A little bit hungry, so hungry you get angry. And I'm not suggesting to you this morning that that was Jesus' emotional state, but something tells me, or at least I'm guessing, that at least one or the two of the 12 disciples who followed him, they were on the verge of losing it if they didn't get lunch soon. And so they made the decision, Jesus, we're going to leave you right here by Jacob's well. We're going to travel about a mile into Sychar, and we're going to buy some food. By the time they arrive back at Jacob's well, they find Jesus putting the wraps on a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, we eavesdropped on this conversation last week, but when they see Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman, it's disconcerting for them for a number of reasons, but they trusted their rabbi, and who were they to question? Besides, this wasn't really the time to question. This was a time to eat. And eat is what they encouraged Jesus to do. John chapter 4 and verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. To which Jesus replied, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And Jesus already had food. Now, where in the world did he get food? <laughs> Disciples are super curious about this. In fact, we go on to read, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Hey, Peter, 
Did you see the donkey DoorDash driver drop by and deliver Chipotle to Jesus? Did, did anybody happen to notice if the Samaritan woman gave him some fresh home-baked cookies? No. Nobody had given Jesus anything to eat. That's what the disciples will soon discover. They will discover that his stomach is just as empty as when they left him sitting by that well to go in the town to buy food. And so why isn't he thinking about lunch? I mean, let's be honest. Most of us start thinking about lunch 30 minutes after we finish breakfast. We plan when and what and where we're going to eat. We just kind of orient our whole day around that. Truth be known, some of you, the only thing that you've been thinking about since you sat down this morning is what you're going to eat at the potluck after Bible class this afternoon, right? And so how is Jesus not thinking about lunch? Have you ever been so caught up in some activity, maybe a favorite hobby, maybe an engaging conversation, meaningful work, sightseeing on a vacation, just something you absolutely love to do that it didn't even cross your mind to have a bite to eat? That you were so enthralled with what you're doing that by the time you looked at your watch, you realized, well, what do you know? Lunch has passed, or perhaps even dinner has passed at this moment. You were just too busy. Do you have anything like that in your life? Have you ever had that experience? If you do, if you have, then that's great. I am so glad you have those types of interests in your life, that you can just get lost in it, that food becomes secondary to you. Enjoy those things. Delight in those things. Give thanks to God for those things in your life. As James reminds us, every good and perfect gift comes from God. As Paul reminds us that all things have been given to us by God for our enjoyment. But what was it that brought Jesus such enjoyment in his life? It was this. It was doing the work that the Father had sent him to do. Jesus says in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What energized and gave Jesus deep satisfaction on this particular day was engaging in a conversation with a woman by the well, by addressing her spiritual thirst, and by seeing her take one step closer to the kingdom of God. For him, it was more satisfying than a great meal from a three-star Michelin-rated restaurant. Now, being every bit as human as you and I, there would come a moment in which Jesus would have to pause and have a bite to eat. But seeing all this kingdom work that was right there in front of him, he didn't have the time, he didn't have the need, he didn't have the desire to pause for lunch at that particular moment. Now, this work that Jesus was sent to do has now been entrusted for us to do. Not all of it. There's some work that only Jesus could do. Only he who lived a perfect life could pay our sin debt on the cross. Only he was, who was able to be raised from the grave uh, could break the bonds and free us from sin and death and from the evil one. But this particular work... 
This work of revealing, of making known, this work of inviting people into the kingdom of God, this work has been entrusted for us to continue to do. Now, if you're not currently involved in this particular work, it's fairly easy to get started. In fact, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about all of the spaces that you currently inhabit. I want you to think about your home. I want you to think about your neighborhood. I want you to think about your work. I want you to think about your school. I want you to think about the place where you do yoga or you hike on trails or the team that you're involved in. And here's my question. How could you bring a little bit more of heaven into those spaces? So what do you mean exactly by that? Well, what is heaven like? Heaven is a realm in which there is pure love and goodness and kindness and generosity and peace and joy and praise. Heaven is a realm where there is no injustice. There's no favoritism. There's no unforgiving spirit. There's no division. There's no selfishness. So what I want you to think about this morning is how can I do a better job of promoting what is good and standing against that which is wrong in those particular spaces. Now, let's get real specific this morning on application. How could you this week do one thing that would bring more of heaven into one of those particular spaces? Here's the second question consider as you think about doing the work of God that we've been entrusted to do. Who do you know or you're aware of currently who is, that you can partner with who is doing the kingdom work locally or globally? And might it be time for you to partner with those individuals either by volunteering or financial partnership? Uh, maybe it's those who are currently, uh, maybe they're fighting against sex trafficking. Maybe they're feeding the hungry. Maybe they're involved in foster care. How about refugee care? How about teaching English? Where could you say, Here's, here are organizations, here are people who are bringing the, uh, the kingdom of God to this place, and I can partner with them now to be involved in this work. Now, as we consider joining Jesus in this work, here's the third question. Who do you know personally that's not currently in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you doing everything you possibly can to initiate spiritual conversations? Are you inviting those individuals into spaces in which they might have a greater possibility of encountering Jesus? What we're talking about this morning is not necessarily easier for the, or for the faint of heart, but it is deeply satisfying work, especially when you see what you're doing are people's lives and families and communities being changed by the love of Jesus. Many, many years ago, I had the opportunity to take a group of college students over to a, a little village on the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya. And for reasons not worth mentioning this morning, uh, food was hard to come by during the time that we were there, at least for some of us. What I most remember about that trip, though, is not the hunger that I felt. And I felt some hunger. I'll give you just an example. I, I went to Nairobi, Kenya, weighing basically what I do now. I came back uh, missing 15 pounds. 
But I don't really remember the hunger pains. What I do remember is how hungry the people in that village were to learn about Jesus. We had the opportunity to study the Bible with people from basically sunup to past sundown. By the time we left, over 50 people had given their lives to Jesus Christ in baptism. One of the individuals who eventually gave his life to Jesus Christ has gone on to plant several different churches. That month that I spent in Kenya, Africa, or Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, Africa, to this day, was one of the most challenging months of my life, but I can tell you this, it was also one of the most satisfying months of my entire life. And sometimes life is like this. You engage in the work of God, and seemingly the results are immediate. And in John chapter 4, the disciples find them in, in one of those moments. That's where they find themselves. Jesus initiated a conversation with a woman by the well. She's so moved by this experience that she goes back into the town. She starts telling everybody about this experience that she's had. And all of a sudden, you have people from Sychar coming out in droves to meet Jesus. Now, knowing that the 12, this is something they wouldn't anticipate. This isn't something they would dream of. Perhaps this is something that they didn't even desire. Jesus speaks these words to them. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. He says, you know that saying, that saying that kind of guides what we do agriculturally, that you got to plant and then, then you got to wait and then eventually something to come of that. He says, well, guess what? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. That's a good word for us as well, isn't it? That's a word that I could have used when I came back from Africa. Let me tell you why. Just a few nights after I returned from that trip, I was out back mowing my yard when my neighbor popped his head up over the fence and he said, welcome home, Sean. He said, how was your trip? I said, Paul, it was fantastic. He said, you know what? He said, I would love to hear what you did over there. And I said, I'd love to tell you all about it. I said, let's, let's grab lunch sometime soon. He said, that'd be great. That lunch never happened. That's as far as the conversation went. You say, well, why didn't, why didn't you follow up? Several reasons. One, life was busy. Two, to be honest with you, I was a little bit intimidated by my neighbor, Paul. N number three, he just didn't seem like the type of person that was that spiritually interested. Let me sum it up this way. My eyes weren't open. Now, thankfully, there was another minister in town who evidently did have his eyes open because he led my neighbor, Paul, to Jesus Christ in the following six months or so. To this day, I just regret the fact that I missed out on being a part of what God was doing in my neighbor's life. God's going to get his will done whether I'm involved or not, but I'm the one who missed out because I didn't have my eyes opened. Now, I realize that we live in one of the most secular areas in a nation that's now being considered by many as post-Christian. But here's what I want you to know. The same father who sent his son to this world on a rescue mission, 
The same Jesus who said, you know what? I'll walk from Jerusalem all the way to Jacob's well in Samaria to have one conversation with a woman who needs to know about my love, which was about a 22-hour trip. The same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost and resulted in 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus, this same triune God that we worship, this same God is just as invested in pursuing, engaging, and working in the lives of people today as He's ever been. He's all about it. And the question is, do you have eyes to see it? Perhaps the better question is, do we have the faith to believe it? Now, Jesus called his disciples to open up their eyes to see the harvest that was right there in front of them. But at the same time, he also reminded them that was, this was a result of those who sowed before them. John chapter 4 and verse 37 through 38 Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. We have no control over when and where the harvest comes. But one thing we must commit ourselves to is this, is that we must sow the seeds of the kingdom of God every single day. This can be hard work, it can be frustrating work, it can be disappointing work. It is hard when your kids roll their eyes at you when you insist on a family devotional time. It is. It is frustrating when your boss looks at you and says, hey, why don't you stick in your own lane when you suggest a few changes that could be made to the work environment that would make it more uh, collaborative and equitable. It can be frustrating when another person kind of gives you the stiff arm when you try to initiate a spiritual conversation. This is challenging stuff. It's enough at times to make us say, why bother? Why am I even messing with this? And I want to give us two reasons for this morning. One is this, is there is no harp of hope of harvest unless someone sows. And number two... What you may not see right now, eventually you will. Jesus goes on to say, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Jesus, how's that going to work? I'm out here sowing. I don't see anything for decades. And then somewhere down the line, some person that I've never known, never met, they get to see the harvest. How are we going to rejoice in this together? He's talking about in the age to come, right? And so I just I want us to imagine for just a moment. Let's just use some creative thinking for just a moment. You may need to shut your eyes for this, but here's what I want you to imagine this moment. I want you to imagine that Jesus has returned, he's ushered in the new heavens and the new earth. And one day you're out taking a walk on one of those gorgeous new earth trails when you spot a couple people up in front of you. And one of those individuals looks so familiar. I mean, he is a dead ringer for a guy that you knew back in high school. High school. But you're, you're sure it can't be him. There's no possible way because for four years straight, he gave you nothing but grief for being a Christian. In fact, one of his favorite sayings was, I would rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. He was a big Billy Joel fan at the time too. 
But to your surprise, he turns around, he spots you, and he says, hey, Julie, is that you? It's me, Kevin, from high school. And before you know it, you're just swept up in this huge hug, and he's holding on so tight, and then finally he releases you, and he offers a wry smile, and he looks into your eyes, and he says this, I bet I'm the last person you expected to see here. And since it's heaven and you can't lie, you say, well, not the last, but I'm a bit surprised. And he laughs like it's the funniest thing that he's ever heard in his life. And then finally he catches his breath. And he turns and he says, Julie, I want you to meet my friend Pete. Pete was my AA sponsor. But most importantly, Pete baptized me into Jesus Christ. And then he turns to Pete and he says, Pete, I want you to meet Julie. Julie's the one that first created a curiosity to me about Jesus. And she lived her life in such a unique way that despite the fact that I gave her nothing but grief about being a follower of Jesus, she just continued to be kind to me. And she kept insisting that there was a God who loved me. And you're caught up in this conversation. All of a sudden, somebody else starts to approach on the path. When that person gets close to you and notices the three of you, big laugh, just as big as the one you just heard. And it's Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, I can't believe it. Julie and Pete. Man, it's so good to see you three here. And, and didn't we make a good team? I mean, it didn't look like there was any hope for old Gary here, but then you guys got together, and the three of us, we brought him to this point of belief. And then, and then he looks at Gary, and he says, Gary, you're a great addition to the team. In fact, that old guy you knew in your AA group, Mike, man, he's just up the path. And he's dying to see you. And Gary says, Mike? Mike? Surely not Mike. And he just bolts down the path to meet him. Is this the way that it will play out in the new heavens and the new earth? I don't know. I'd like to think so. But this I do know. The kingdom of God work that you do right here, right now will create such an eternal, satisfying joy that it far outlasts or will outlive or doesn't even, just outdoes anything that you can experience in this life. And so we have to plant the seeds of the kingdom and we have to keep our eyes open for the harvest and the harvest will come. It will come. This fall, I believe, has the potential to be a huge harvest season right here in the Bay Area. As I mentioned to you several weeks ago, there are numerous churches within the Bay Area that are partnering together to work on an initiative that will launch on September 24th called Explore God. This is a seven-week sermon series combined with discussion groups in which we will be exploring seven big questions of life. I mean, here's a short video that will give you a little bit more information about it, or at least describe it to you. 
Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on Earth? Let me put it this way. I, I like, I'd like to think that God is real. I spent so long Under a storm cloud In a word, what are you looking for in life? What is my life supposed to look like? What am I supposed to do with my talents and my gifts? And how am I supposed to be a part of this big, huge world with seven billion people? Do I have any role to play in that? That's the question people are asking. And a glance into your eyes is all that I need to climb to my feet. People have a desire for a sense of wonder. People have a desire for a sense of love. People want to figure out if something's true or not. Who can they trust? I would say that God put this curiosity in all of our hearts. I don't think it's a bad thing that we we look at other options and look down other roads to try to figure out exactly why we're here or what our purpose is in life. People here don't want to go to Bible study. It's not that. It's just a good conversation about life. We can have superficial conversations all day long, but when you're asking about something transcendent and something mysterious, you kind of hear people's longings as well and their dreams and their desires and you hear their troubles and their fears. And I think we're more authentically human when we start asking spiritual things. I think I know what I believe, but I still wonder about a lot. So this is for me as much as it is for you. believe this fall that there will be many, many people that come to faith in Jesus Christ. But will there be a harvest right here at Campbell? I don't know. But I do believe the odds greatly increase if we do the hard work of sowing. And our sowing must begin with prayer. And so on your seat or close to you this morning, you'll see a card that says, Explore God. And then there are several different little lines there. And what I want to invite you to do is to be thinking about people that you know here that you interact with locally that you would love to see come to faith in Jesus Christ and just write their name down. If you can only think of one name, that's fine. If you can think of 10 or 20 or 30, use as many pieces or cardboard that you need, but write those names down. And I want to encourage you, beginning today, after you finish writing those names down, that we pray for these people every single day. Spend five minutes, spend ten minutes just praying over those list of names. Now, the second thing that I, I want us to be aware of, that it is much more likely that people will benefit from this experience if they're involved in a discussion group. 
that they don't just come to hear a sermon series, but they actually participate in one of those groups that you just saw on the screen. So that means we're going to need so many of you to be discussion group leaders. And I realize that might sound a little bit intimidating this morning, but it's actually much easier than it sounds. We're not asking you to lead a Bible study. We're not asking you to provide all the answers to anything. Well, all we're asking is this, that you say, you know what, I can either provide or find a hospitable space in which it can be a safe environment for open, honest, spiritual conversation. Just authentic. And so on the screen, what you're going to see is a QR code. If you'll take out your phone and just point your camera at that, that will take you to a form in which you can sign up to be a discussion group leader. And if you'd fill that out, I will eventually get materials to you uh, for leader training and also some resource material. We'll get you ready to lead one of these groups uh, in the fall. And I realize some of you may need some time to think about this, so we'll, we'll put this other places as well. We'll keep, keep this before you if you're not quite ready to commit. I, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I'm as, every bit as nervous as, about this as any of you are. Like, I, there's part of me that wrestled with, do I even make a big deal of this, or do I just downplay it? Because I'm, I'm scared to death of looking like a failure, like nothing panned out or nobody accepts my invitation to be part of a group. But I've got to go back to this story and remember, it's not about you being successful or a failure. It's about you doing the work that Jesus has sent you to do to plant the seeds of the kingdom of God. That's all Jesus is asking of you, Sean, is just to start, invite, have conversations. That's it. Leave it to him to bring the increase. Now, third, I want to encourage us to make the most of the next several months, the summer months, simply to do this, to build relationships. Don't go out of this place and immediately invite people to explore God or talk about explore God. It's not time for that yet. What we want to do over the next several months is just get to know people and have fun with people. I want to encourage you to go to lunch with people, coffee with people. I want to encourage you to have a block party, uh, take people golfing, host a game night, go on hikes together, do whatever it is that you like to do with the people that you enjoy doing it with, and just build relationships. We want people to know that we care about them, whether they ever say yes to an invitation to come to something like this or not. My belief, though, is if we're authentic in our relationships, that many people will say yes. So here's three big takeaways for this morning. Number one is this, develop your prayer list. Develop your prayer list and begin to pray for those individuals by name. Second takeaway, sign up to be a discussion group leader. If you're not sure or, or hesitant to do it by yourself, find somebody else here that you can do it together with. Partner together, team together. Teens, I want to include you as much as anybody. We'd love to have you lead one of these discussion groups for your peers. Retirees, this is for you as well and everybody in between. Begin to lead one of these discussion groups. We'll get you ready. And then number three, just pick out one of the people that you write down and decide to do something with that person that's fun this week. Or if you can't do that, do something helpful for them. Just show them that you care. Okay, so there's a big part of me that was thinking, okay, now we just pray. 
But then I had a conversation with Lauren this morning, and it reminded me, Sean, open your eyes. Maybe there's a harvest season right now. So I'm just going to throw it out there. If there's anybody here this morning who's decided, you know what, today's the day. I'm all in. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to put him on in baptism so that my sins be washed away and I'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and I can get busy on doing kingdom work. We want you to know we're ready. We're ready. The baptistry is just right up there. It may be a little bit chilly this morning, but that's all right. We would love to celebrate you giving your life to Christ. 